And that's one of those songs that I can remember, or that I can picture. Remember, I haven't been to heaven yet, but picture that we will sing in heaven. And a song that we sang a couple years ago in Africa and reminds me of how all will be joined together singing praises to the Lamb who was slain for the grace that He has given to each one of us, people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. It is amazing the grace that God has shown to us. Thankful for that song. Thankful to hear you sing it. This morning we'll be in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We've been talking a lot about having a right standing with God as we study this letter to the church at Rome. So let me just encourage you today that if you have not committed yourself to God by turning from your sins and believing in God's perfect Redeemer, Jesus Christ, as the only way to be accepted by God, then, then you need to do that. You, you ought to do that. And why don't you do that today? God is calling you to repent and believe. God must be your master. He demands exclusive worship. He will not allow split loyalties. We cannot serve two masters. Um, and so this is my opening plea to unbelievers. But let me encourage you, the rest, the rest of you today, believers, that this passage here that we're looking at is not about unbelievers. It's not written to unbelievers. It's about us as Christians. It's written to the believers at Rome. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know that we live, in a sense, between two realms. That we once were slaves of sin, and one day we will be completely freed from sin. That, that we are slaves of righteousness. We will be for all of eternity. And so, in a sense, we kind of live in a tug-of-war between those two realms. And the remainder of our life, we, we straddle those realms, in a sense. Our former master is no longer our master, but he hasn't gone away, has he? We saw that last week. He still wants to have rule over us, our former master's sin. And so, uh, he tries to take control of us, and, and we have to guard ourselves against being pulled back to our former way of life. We are new, a new creation. We are headed towards greater and more perfect righteousness, which will happen in the next life. It's as if we grew up in an abusive home with parents who didn't care for us. But then we were adopted by another family. And the family that adopted us was a good and loving family. However, they happened to be neighbors of our previous parents, our abusive parents. And as a result, we still had influence from that former family. We still had influence from that former, those former parents. But we need to recognize that we no longer have the responsibility to obey our former parents, the, the abusive ones. They, they don't have authority over us. By law, we are not under their rule. We have a new set of parents. We, we have a new set of leaders. We're under their rule. And so if we're no longer under the authority of our abusive parents, does that mean that we can just, in, in our new setting, in our new house, under our new parents, the loving parents, does that mean that we can just live however we want? No, of course it doesn't. It doesn't mean that we have no authority of, at all. We were removed or freed from the rule of those abusive parents, but we're not free to do whatever we want. We're freed to, to follow the authority, the rule of now our good parents, right? 
And that's what Paul is, is trying to show us here in this passage as well. You see, we have been freed from the law. We are now under grace. But that doesn't mean that we're free to do whatever we want. We are now free to obey a better master. That's the point. You see, there are only two ways to live. We can live for ourselves, heading for the broad road which leads to destruction, or we can live for God, which is the narrow road that leads to eternal life. Here, Paul is going to show us, he's going to call it two ways or two types of slavery, either slavery to sin or slavery to God or slavery to righteousness. It's used in both ways. But slavery to sin or slavery to God. So let's read our passage. I'll read it. You follow along beginning in verse 15. This is the Word of God. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This letter is written to Christians and Paul is saying this, we are now slaves to God. We are now slaves to God. In this passage, Paul is going to ask one main question and then he's going to answer it in three ways. So, here's the main question. It is, do we have a license to sin? Verse 15. Do we have a license to sin? Now that we've been freed from our former master... Right? Since the Gospel forgives the sins of believers, past, present, and future, doesn't that mean that we can live however we please? Do we have a license to sin? Look at verse 15. This is the question. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? The question here in verse 15 is very similar to what we saw in verse 1. Let's look back at that one and notice how similar the wording is. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound or grace may increase? So it's the same idea. Shall we continue in sin? Verse 1, verse 15, shall we sin? Now, the difference is in verse 1, Paul was asking on the basis of allowing grace. He was using the opponent's potential question saying, on the basis of the understanding that we all have that when sin increases, then grace abounds all the more. Chapter 3 or chapter 5, verse 20. Remember, as sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So it doesn't matter how high the pile of sin is, grace is going to cover it. So if that's the case, and it is, 
then that means that we can go on sinning. That's the question in verse 1. Doesn't it? And we saw last week that Paul showed us that was nonsense, right? Because we have died to sin by virtue of our union with Christ. Sin no longer has mastery over us. We now have the power to resist sin. And aren't you thankful that you, in Christ, have the power to resist sin? You do have that power. Here, in verse 15, he asks a similar but different question. Here, the question that he wants to answer is from his potential objectors. Again, he's just raising a potential objection. It is this. Do we have a license to sin since we're now living under grace? We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under the master of sin. So now, since we're under grace, do we have freedom or license to do whatever we want to sin? Does freedom from the Mosaic law mean freedom from any law? That's the question he wants to answer. Do we have a license to sin? He's going to give three answers. Number one, our current position in Christ is not a license to sin. So, the very first answer is actually quite simple. It is no. Our current position in Christ is not a license to sin. And he answers it right away at the end of verse 15. And I'm sure you notice that this is very similar to what he said in verse 2. It is, may it never be. If you remember from last week, I said that that is the strongest adversative in the Greek language, the strongest negative statement you can possibly say in the Greek language. And it's similar to saying, what a horrific thought. That could never possibly be, is what Paul is saying. And so his answer to the question that, we're, that he's asking, he's raising, do we have a license to sin, is no way. We do not have a license to sin. Now the fuller answer will be that when we ask that kind of question, do I have a license to sin, we don't really understand our current position in Christ, out from underneath the mastery of sin, and, and now under the mastery of Christ, we don't understand our current position. That's what we're going to see this week. And we also don't understand the value of the law. And we'll see that next week in chapter 7. So, we don't understand our current position and we don't understand the value of the law when, you, when we ask the question, do I have a license to sin? Can I do whatever I want? So, this week we want to look at our, a, a proper understanding of our current position in Christ. And Paul's answer, this no way answer in verse 1, is, is based on a basic principle that we find in verse 16. And it is this. We are slaves to the one that we obey. We are slaves to the one that we obey. Look at verse 16. He answers this in the form of a question, really, like he did last week in verse 2. Here in verse 16, he says, before that, he says, may it never be. Then verse 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. And so here's the simple principle that he's explaining to the believers in Rome, and I think the Holy Spirit wants us to understand as well. We are slaves to the one whom we obey. Here's what Second Peter, here's how Peter puts it in Second Peter 2.19. He says, People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. How you behave determines whom you, be, whom you obey. And, and there are only two choices. You either obey sin or you obey righteousness. When, when you obey your former master's sin, you are re-enslaving yourself to your former master. And that is a pathway 
toward destruction. Now, it doesn't mean that once you come to Christ and you start obeying sin that you lose your salvation. It means that you're heading off the road that leads to eternal life. And we need to be on the right road. And what is that right road? It's a pathway of righteousness. It's a pathway of obedience to Christ. And in verse 16, this obedience that he's talking about, how we are slaves of obedience. Don't think obedience to the law, the Mosaic law. That's not what he's talking about. He calls it later in verse 18, slavery to righteousness, and then verse 22, slavery to God. We are slaves to the one we obey. So let me just ask you this morning, who is it that you obey? What kind of impulses within you do you obey? Do you obey the impulses that lead you to sin? Or do you obey the impulses that lead you to righteousness? If the overall pattern, if the, if the regular practice of your life is that you listen to sin and you follow after sin, then that is not consistent with the Christian life. And you need to get back on the right path. But if you are obeying Christ, if you are obeying righteousness, your, your impulses lead you to righteousness then that is a, an indication, an expression, a, a, a declaration that you are in Christ. That old things have passed away. That's a way that you can know that you are right with God. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the sons of God as we obey Him. You are slave to the one that you obey. It's a good question to, to consider. That, that what is it that takes stock of your life? What is it that uses up all of your resources? Let's, let's just say in the time... Uh, of recreation. Let's say that you're using your time wisely while you're at work and and you're working a a reasonable amount of time during the day. Let's say that that your free time, your recreational time, what is it that fills up that time? Is it thoughts about Christ? Is, Is it full of actions that are related to serving Christ? Or is it more about serving self and and um and following after sin? Good question to consider as we think about this passage this week. So, do we have a license to sin? Answer number one, no way. Answer number two, in verses 17 to 19, our current position in Christ frees us to serve God. Our current position in Christ frees us to serve God. So our current position in Christ is not a license to sin, Verses 15 and 16. And then secondly, our current position in Christ frees us to serve God. And that's because we have a new master. It's not that we get out from underneath the mastery of our old old enslavement and now we're just free to do whatever we want. We have a new master. And Paul makes this point by giving thanksgiving to God in prayer in verse 17. He says, thanks be to God. It's as if he just breaks out into a prayer of thanksgiving right in the middle of his letter. That though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Again, remember Paul's talking to believers. He's saying, I've seen it in you. I've seen evidence of spiritual life. And I'm thankful to God that you are now a slave of righteousness. And his point is is that we as Christians are no longer under the slavery of sin. And because of this, he is thankful to God. 
Notice what he says there in, in verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you... He doesn't say are. That's past tense. You were slaves to sin. That's how it used to be. There has been a change in your life. Not a gradual change. An immediate change when you came to Christ. And old things passed away. And he saw that all as a result of God's grace. And so he says, thanks be to God. You see the slavery language? How it continues in verses 17 and 18? Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. And then verse 18, and having been freed, that's more slavery language, and then at the end of the verse, you became slaves of righteousness. He's saying there has been a transfer of loyalties. And that happens at the moment of salvation. When we are broken from the chains, the bonds that held us to our former master. And now we are free to, notice the end of verse 17, we are free to be obedient to the, uh, from the heart to that form of teaching to which we were committed. You see, in Christ, you have a new allegiance. You pledge allegiance to a new master. And it comes by means of the teaching that He has given to us at the end of verse 17. You have a transfer of loyalties from sin to righteousness and it puts you in a position now where you have the ability through the Spirit to resist sin and to obey God. To no longer be enslaved to sin. And so in answer to the question, do we have a license to sin since we're now under grace? Paul's answer is no way. That alleged freedom to sin is actually slavery to sin. So if you think that you can get out from your old master's sin in order to do whatever you want, that actually has been become another form of enslavement to your former master. And that's not consistent with who you are. There has been a change of loyalties. And therefore, we must, as we saw last week, remember, present the members of your body as instruments of righteousness. We must enlist our resources for the use on the winning team. <clears throat> now, before I wrote the sermon, U of M didn't lose in terrible fashion to the Michigan State. So I have actually U of M illustration in here that I, I don't have anything else, so I have to use it. Okay, we weren't going to talk about that today, but now we have to. Keith Heitzman was a defensive end and a tight end for U of M for three years, just up until last year. Prior to his final year, he has one more year of eligibility, Brady Hoke was fired, his coach, and Jim Harbaugh was hired. And Keith, this defensive end and tight end, didn't think that he would be able to get a starting job at tight end under Jim Har Harbaugh. And so he decided that he would transfer to Ohio State University. Now on November 28th, Keith and Ohio State will come to the big house to play Michigan for the final regular season game of the season. Now suppose Keith comes to the stadium in his street clothes and he heads over to the Michigan locker room and, and does warm-ups with the Michigan football players, and he puts his old Michigan jersey on. What do you think Coach Urban Meyer would say to him? Hey, what are you doing over there? You can't use your abilities and talents for Michigan anymore. You don't belong to them. And so stop using yourself for their benefit. Friends, when we came to Christ, we switched jerseys. We were brought to the opposite battlefield. Right? We took off our former battle uniform and put on the new one. 
We're on a different squad now. We swore allegiance to Christ. And so we need to enlist our body, our resources for the sake of the winning team, the team that we are now on, not under law anymore, not under sin anymore, under grace, under Christ, under righteousness, under God. We, we use our resources for His benefit. Here in, in, verse, um, in verse 19, we have one of only five commands in the first ten chapters of Romans. One of only five commands in the first ten chapters. I, I showed you um, uh, verses 12 to 14 last week that there were, I think, four of them in those verses. Here we have another command, one of the very few in the first ten chapters, and it is this at the end of the verse. For just as you presented your members as slaves of impurity or slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, here's the command, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So, he's saying, you used to use your skills and your abilities and your resources for your opposing loyalty. For the oppo- You're now oppos- opposing loyalty. And what did that lead you to? Look at the text. What did it lead you to? It says, it resulted in further lawlessness. That's what used to happen. But now, here's what I'm telling you, you now need to use your skills, abilities, resources for your present master, your present loyalty. Don't use your skills for your former team. Don't use your skills for the opposing uh, troops in battle. You now belong to God. And you're supposed to use the members of your body, your, your person, to fight against sin. Sin is now your enemy. You see, as a human, you've been given great resources. All human beings have been given great resources, but we as unbelieving sinners for much of our lives used those resources that we had received to further enslave ourselves into sin. But now, life has changed. Why? Because we have a new master. And so what, what do we do now? We present our members as slaves of righteousness. Verse 19. We have been freed from sin and here's the answer that Paul wants to give to us. Do we have a license to just do whatever we want? And the answer is no. You have been freed to serve a new master. We have been freed to serve a new master. And the result is going to be different from what it once was. Notice at the end of the verse, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Well, what does that result in, Paul? It results in further righteousness. Just as your lawlessness further enslaved you, it resulted in further lawlessness. Here, when you use your body, your person... To, to do acts of righteousness, it results in further righteousness or what he calls sanctification. It, it results in growing in holiness. There's a progression that as we follow after our master's sin in the former life we did, it led to further sinfulness. But now that we're enslaved to righteousness, as we enslave ourselves or as we obey that righteousness and do that righteousness, we... It leads to further righteousness. You see, slavery does not stand still. Slavery does not stand still. It moves in the direction of what it will become. 
And we in Christ will become perfect in the next life. And we move in the direction towards perfect righteousness. It's not going to happen on this side of eternity. It's not going to happen on this time side of the grave. But we move in that direction because that's who we are. So let me encourage you this morning. Perhaps you have become a worm theologian over time. Your favorite hymn is At the Cross. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? I'm a terrible person. Your life verse is Psalm 22.6. I am a worm and not a man. And your second favorite verse is Isaiah 64.6. All of my righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Can I tell you that that, that that is who you were before you came to Christ? That is not who you are in Christ. Yes, it is good to recognize who we were and what a worm we were before we came to Christ. But that's not who you are now. Do you see? In Christ, you are full of potential. You have the power to overcome sin through the Spirit that God has given you. Sin has been defeated. And sin will be eliminated. And because of that, because sin will finally be eliminated, that guarantees that in the life of every single believer, it will be being eliminated in you now. That you will be putting to death the deeds of the body. You will be enslaving yourself to righteousness. Do you know what the result of that is at the end of verse 19? It's sanctification. It's growth in godliness. It's greater holiness. And that's exactly what God made you to do. So, do we have a license to sin? Number one, our current position in Christ is not a license to sin. Number two, our current position in Christ frees us to serve God. And then the third and final answer is our current position in Christ is the only way to eternal life. Our current position in Christ is the only way to eternal life. Verses 20 to 23. It's the only way to eternal life. Notice the consequences of enslavement to sin in verses 20 and 21. It says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Here, in these last four verses, Paul shows the end result of enslavement to sin. And he also shows the end result of enslavement to righteousness. And what is the end result of enslavement to sin? Look at the end of verse 21. The outcome of those things. The outcome of enslavement to sin is what? What do you see there? Death. When you were enslaved to sin, sin was your master. You are unable to do anything righteous. Isn't that what it says in verse 20? When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were unable to obey righteousness. All of your best acts were done for wrong reasons. And they were counted by God as a dirty cloth to be discarded. You were unable to acknowledge God's rule over your life in a way that led to conformity to His demands. That's what it was like before you came to Christ. And what benefit did you get? The end result of of, of that kind of lifestyle was death. Have you ever heard an unbeliever boast about their freedom from righteousness? Have you ever heard an unbeliever just be so proud that they didn't have to do anything righteous? It usually comes in the form of ridiculing you because they want you to come and take pleasure in their unrighteousness, right? 
and they ridicule you because of all the restrictions that you have because you are a Christian. And in one sense, they are right. That they are freed from righteous, from the mastery of righteousness. They are free to go and get drunk. It's true they are free to go and be immoral. It's true that they are free in one sense to live a life with no regard for God. But, but when you get ridiculed in that way, what would happen if you asked them this question in verse 21? What benefit are you now deriving from your so-called freedom from righteousness? What benefit is there from that? And the truth is that their so-called freedom from righteousness is actually leading to their very spiritual death. That's what the end of the verse says. And if you think about it, they're really no freer than you are. They're just, freer, they're just free from a different master than you. But notice what happened when you came to Christ. The consequences of enslavement to sin, verses 20 and 21. The consequence of enslavement to righteousness, verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, of eternal, the outcome of eternal life. So what is the ultimate outcome, the final end of your enslavement to God? What, what is the outcome of all these restrictions that we have as Christians? What is it in verse 22? Eternal Life. Eternal life. We have it much better than they. They can boast all they want in the freedom they have, but they're actually enslaved to their sin and the outcome of their life is going to be eternal death if God doesn't come and pour out His grace upon them. But the restrictions that you have on you are actually for your good. It's like a parent who... who wisely puts up guardrails for his child. Right? It, it seems like it's very restrictive. I can't do all the things my friends can do. And, and yet, what does it do for them in the end? It protects them. Right? It, it's a guardrail that, that's on the side of the cliff. Well, I'd really like to get closer to the edge. Why is the guardrail there? It's to protect you from going off the edge. You see, these restrictions, so to speak, are actually, yes, they are a form of enslavement, but it's a better enslavement than the enslavement that we once had because it has a better outcome. The outcome of your enslavement is sanctification and eventually eternal life. So, let's see if we can bring this together. All who are enslaved to sin use the members of their bodies as instruments of unrighteousness and results in greater sinfulness. Verse 19, right? They, they use their bodies to follow after their master's sin and it results in further enslaving them to that sin. That's what it says in verse 19. Further sinfulness, further lawlessness. And the end result, verse 21, for those kinds of people is death. It's spiritual, eternal death. Separation from God forever. That's the, the final result. Now, there's another kind of enslavement. There's only two kinds. You can't not have you can't uh, be unenslaved. You have to be enslaved to something. You're either enslaved to sin or to righteousness. And this kind of enslavement that happens to all Christians is, is when we use our members as instruments of righteousness, and it results in verse 19 to greater holiness or sanctification, as it's 
called there. And then the ultimate end is, verse 22, we saw eternal life. We must not misunderstand what we've already learned. But we cannot miss the, the bigger point. And so Paul uses verse 23 to help clarify his point. Verse 23. He, he, gives, he gives it to us really in two points. First, spiritual death is earned by all who receive it. Spiritual death is earned by all who receive it. It's a wage. Do you see that in the text? For the earnings of sin is death. The paycheck for those who live enslaved to sin is spiritual death. Spiritual death is earned by all who receive it. Does that make sense with what we just saw? We are enslaved to sin. We use our instruments for unrighteousness and it results in greater sinfulness and the final result is eternal death. Okay, so spiritual death is earned by all who receive it. But, but look at the end of verse 23. What does it say? Does it say the wages of righteousness is eternal life? No. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So here's the first point. Spiritual death is earned by all who receive it. But listen to this. Spiritual life is earned by none who receive it. Spiritual life is earned by none who receive it. If it were an earning, then God would be giving us what He owed us. But here is the glorious message of the Gospel. We have in Christ what we did not deserve. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Spiritual life is earned by none who receive it. It is the opposite of a wage. And look at what it's called at the end of verse 23. The free gift. The opposite of an earning is a free gift. And that is what Paul has set out to prove in chapters 1-3. to We are not made righteous or declared to be righteous. We, we do not have a right standing before God. We are not justified, is the way he put it, by anything that we have done. It's not a result, as he says in Ephesians. It's not a result of works so that not one of us can boast. We don't have anything to say about how we came to Christ because it wasn't us. It was God. Justification. Our right standing is all of grace. And the trajectory of a Christian is moving towards greater righteousness. And the final result will be life. That's what it says in verse 23. Eternal life. Glory. But we need to see that that none of that is earned by us. It is all of grace. And that's why we just finished singing the grace that has led us safe this far is the grace that's going to lead us home. So even our initial salvation, but also our sanctification and our final glorification is all a result of grace. So, Let me finish with four principles and one application. Four principles and one application. Number one, first principle, everyone has a master. Whatever enslaves you, whoever you obey, how you behave, those things are are simply expressions of who your master is. You want to find out who your master is? Then take stock of your time. 
take an inventory of how you spend your money. Take a look at your credit card statement, your checkbook, and you can find out pretty well who your master is. So principle number one, everyone has a master. Principle number two, everyone has only one master. It's either sin or righteousness, according to verse 16. Jesus said in Luke 16, you can't serve two masters. You'll either be devoted to the one and despise the other, or you'll despise the other, despise the the one and, and love the other. You can't serve God and money. And I think the same principle applies here. You can't serve two football coaches. You can't play for Michigan and Ohio State at the same time. You can only choose one. You can't play on both sides of the battlefield. You need to choose. Everyone has a master. Everyone has only one master. Number three, release from one master makes you free to serve the other. Okay, freedom from one master doesn't make you free to do anything. It frees you to serve the other. So that's what we need to see here. Freedom does not mean having no master. That's what he's getting at, right? Do I have a license to sin? Do I, am I free to do whatever I want? No, when you do that, you're actually still enslaved. Freedom means being out from the tyranny of a bad ruler and free to serve a good ruler. Out from the tyranny of the abusive parents and free to serve the good parents. There was a movie trailer that was showing a year or so ago. And the premise of it was that people could do whatever they wanted for 24 hours without fear of being caught. Of course, the commercial was uh, for the movie was filled with all sorts of wickedness and crime. But let's be honest, that would never happen where someone could actually go a period of time with freedom to do whatever they wanted. Because there is no freedom like that. True freedom does not living without any rules. It is not living without any rules at all. True freedom means being free to live for the best master. And that's what happened to us when we came to Christ. We were freed from what enslaved us and what was killing us so that we could be enslaved to the Master that loves us and is doing our best, doing what is best for us. Principle number four, you chose the right Master when you came to Christ. You chose the right Master when you came to Christ. This passage, again, is not talking about making a choice. It's not saying, this, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That, there is... There are those options in Scripture, but this passage is not that. It is saying, he's saying, listen, this is the consequences that there are for those who have chosen Christ. And I see that you have chosen Christ. So he's saying, because you have chosen Christ, because you have chosen to make Christ your Lord, your Master, you cannot and you will not be mastered by sin. And I would say it this way, you must not be mastered by sin. Stop obeying your former master. Stop using the members of your body as instruments for sin and start using them for instruments of righteousness that lead to sanctification and eternal life. And that leads us to our application. And it is this. Serve your master with everything that you have. You chose the right master in coming to Christ. So serve your master with everything that you have. We need to fight against sin because we are dead to sin. We need to stop using our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness and start using them as instruments for God's purposes. 
So let's just take stock of the last 24 hours. How did you do yesterday? How did you do with using the members of your body for righteousness yesterday and what you watched and how you served your family and how you prepared for worship today and how you treated the people that are closest to you? How did you use the members of your body for righteousness and how you spent your money? Because what is shaping you? What, what controls you? That is your master. And you will be. You, you are being shaped into what you will forever be. Whatever's shaping you now is, is what's going to, to result in your final outcome. So what is it that's driving you today? What is it that's driving you to hate sin and to love righteousness? Father, we can't thank You enough for Your mercy and salvation. And Lord, we, we understood these things when we came to Christ at some level, that, that it was all of grace. And it was by faith that we were saved. But, but Lord, there are times like this when we study Your Word more carefully that we come to see and be reminded of what we have known. Maybe we have gotten off track a little bit in our thinking. And it's good for our souls to be reminded that eternal death is earned by all who receive it, but eternal life is earned by none who receive it. That is, we, Father, by virtue of Your mercy and salvation, are recipients of eternal life, but we did not earn it. It was a free gift from You through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, that doesn't mean that we can just live however we want. We must live for our new Master. We have a new loyalty, a new allegiance, a new team, a new battlefield on which we're serving. And so Lord, we pray that You'd help us to use the instruments of our body for righteousness and not for sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.